Podcast Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. All right, and we're back with the next episode of season three. Off to a really good start already. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for all the feedback that I received on Instagram and Twitter this past week of enjoying that the show is back. That means the world. So we'll be coming to you every week with a new episode and a new person that we are featuring in the wine industry. So keep spreading the word, telling people to tune in. It means everything. So thank you. Now, I can't be talking about the wine industry without letting you know that honestly, I have a heavy heart as I learn about all the news of the California wildfires. And I am always thinking about my friends and the people that I admire in the wine industry out there. So thank you to the first responders, the people that are organizing for food and supplies to be delivered. We've been donating. Please reach out if you need ideas of what you can do to help. Um, Also buying wine from Napa and Sonoma. This is fall allocation time. The weather has finally cooled down here in Atlanta so I can ship wines and I am buying from my friends out there in California. So let's support each other and thank you to the first responders. It's people like my next guest that remind me of all the good in the world. This is going to be a conversation with Casey Ivey. She is a sales rep for a national importer and distributor, and she's based here in Atlanta. She's actually born and raised in Atlanta, and she has such a passion for her producers and really approaches wine with a unique blend of personal experience, but also formal education. So I think you're going to really enjoy hearing from her. She also is the the director of marketing for the Southeastern Sommelier Society, and they are a nonprofit member-run organization. They have a goal of supporting wine professionals in the Southeast, and they do educational scholarships, enrichment trips, and seminars, and she's really actively involved in that, and they've done some super fun events in Atlanta. Can't wait till we can be doing more of that again. So she is someone that you'll want to know if you are anywhere in the Southeast and you're studying to join the wine industry, reach out to Casey. She'll tell you all about it. So grab something really fun to enjoy while you listen and cheers. Can you hear me? So my dog's outside like barking. It's chaos in here. I just went by. There you go. They're welcome. They can be on the Cork in the Road podcast. That's totally cool. Animals are welcome. Thank you for having me. How have you been doing? What have you been up to? Man, um, our company has changed some. You know, the clients that I work with are evolving and changing and it's a lot. I'm sure it's same with you and your business. But I'm still with my company, still with Winebow and I have, you know, my same group of people I work with and same brands and we're getting through. Your life since March has probably flipped upside down from the restaurant world as well. So can you just help for people that don't know what your role of a sales rep for a national importer distributor before COVID, what was that like for you? Right. Right. So I work for a company. Uh, We are a national importer and distributor. So the import side is that we bring wines in from all over the world, from most wine producing regions, at least the main ones, like all of South America, all of Australia, New Zealand, and then all over Europe. We import those into the United States and then we contact a distributor in a local market and they purchase them from, the, from us. And then the other side, the part that I work on is the distribution side. So in addition to imports, 
globally, we have distributors in all major markets except Texas. So all, basically all along the coast, we are set up. And then the U.S. franchise laws and rights to sell and distribute alcohol are so crazy in response to prohibition. It's super antiquated. But um, yeah, we, so every state is totally different. I did the same job in Tennessee before coming to Georgia, and it's completely different. <laughs> you have to like relearn everything. No matter where you are, the states function totally differently. Like it's I do. Totally different. That's such a wild thing. So for you, it's really in this world of the, of the distribution chain, but you're sure. also integrated with your producers and you have your clients who are then further selling your wine in their retail shop, in their restaurant. Like you're kind of that person that people see on both sides of the supplier and the end user. Oh, definitely. And so I've been doing this five years now and I don't know, you're, year two, probably I kind of figured this out, like what a middleman really is and like, what's your role and how do you, how do you help everybody? And it's like, so I'm in sales for my company, but I am just as much in sales for my client. So I'm selling like the products that I have, but I'm also selling my clients to my company. Like help me do this for them. Let's get this going and bring them this. And you are making the deal. Like you want, you got to satisfy both parties. And that is what I do all day. <laughs> but that's good because you're a people person. And not only that, like you're super approachable and you have this great energy about wine, but you're like a complete ninja about wine too. Like, you know so much. And I think that that allows you to play in all kinds of worlds when it comes to this intersection of people in a professional setting and consumers. Like you can, you can address all those audiences. <sighs> Some days, you know, I, I, uh, I surround myself with so many polished and fantastic, amazing wine personalities that I'm like, Oh my gosh, I know nothing. <laughs> there are people, I mean, there's just people in our city even that are, that are just that their wealth of knowledge is overwhelming. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I study it enough. I should know something, <laughs> you know, you know, a little bit more than something. I will tell you that. Yeah, but. <laughs> of course, of course. But yeah, there's just so much to go. I'm speaking of that. I'm in the middle of uh, W set right now. I saw I saw on your Instagram story that you were helping someone with it. With the W set three tasting, I was walking through with that. But you're in you're at the stage of diploma. Is that correct? Yes, I am, and I am. Uh, so I was scheduled to to take one of the sections this summer. I was gonna. I took I took the sparkling section class and I was going to take the exam and it was postponed like all things. So I'm doubling up in October and taking fortify and, and sparkling. And I'm like just reading and reading. And I loved, I loved school, like loved it. So it, it, I look forward to it every weekend when I get to read about it. So I love that you mentioned that. Cause I do think that to be in that kind of formal wine setting, you gotta like school, you gotta like academics. And that reminds me, I totally forgot to even confirm this. I'm pretty sure you're a born and raised Atlanta girl and went to school in like college in Atlanta. I did. Yeah. So, um, born at Piedmont hospital and went all around. I graduated from high school in a Western, in, a, in the suburbs in the West in Douglasville. And you went to school at Georgia tech, which I knew you from wine. I knew you were super, super knowledgeable about wine. But then I find out that you have this not so secret background of being an engineer, my friend. You are not only like knowledgeable in wine, but you studied engineering. Were you studying formally wine and in college at ever the same time? No, 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 no. I actually, I did get into wine in college, but um, yeah, I, I was, I was 
at Georgia Tech and worked at Parrish Wine Bar in Edmond Park. It was one of the you know first places that that popped up on that little strip. And Justin Amick was the GM. He was running the restaurant and he got me into wine. And I had had like Pinot Grigio and I mean, just regular like stuff that you would try in a college dorm. And, and probably he, some stuff that isn't wine too, probably. You know, all of it, yeah. And he, uh, he was like, he just like, this is a Verdejo, you should taste it. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> and he, I, that's where I got into wine. And then, you know, I was so like into, into engineering and I loved what I did. I, I studied fluid mechanics and I went on and got, I mean, I got to travel the world. I got, it was an, I love Georgia tech and I can't speak highly enough about that place. I, it was so much of like my personality and who I am, my work ethic are owed to Georgia tech. Um, it's a fantastic experience, but engineering, I don't know. I mean, I, I loved working in restaurants and I loved wine and I moved to Nashville and worked in an engineering firm for a while and then came back to the hospitality because I love it. So You sometimes have to follow that instinct of where that love is because you obviously at that point you could have done anything. But the fact that you felt that here, I did not know that you worked at Parrish. That's fantastic. That's what, a, what a like staple of the wine world growing in Atlanta. So I love that. But did you start learning formally wine then completely after choosing to kind of switch paths and go to wine after engineering? When you were back in Atlanta, was it formal studies that took you that next step or was it a combination of personal exploration as well. Yeah. So when I got out of engineering, I started with a distributor in Nashville. It's a, a pretty large one um, called Lippman Brothers. Fantastic company. Um, and I started with this like entry level position where I was working with a few fine dining accounts, not really, but more like fast casual. And we sold beer and liquor and wine. And two years in, I had fallen so hard for, for wine. So the reason I moved back to Atlanta, my, my dad and my last grandparent passed away. And then I was like, man, I just want to be near my family for a while. And that's what we do. So I was like dead set on working for a, a wine company, a, a, a great one. And I did. <laughs> I got, I got the job. You got your family around you and the job that you wanted. Yeah. It all, it, I mean, this year has not been the best year of my life and, I, and probably not very many people's best year of their life. But man, I came home in 2017. The last several years have been some of the, like, the highlight of my life. Like how much I've learned from my coworkers at Winebow. I mean, the, the people that I work with, I, I, I can't imagine a better a better group of people. Um, and I got to come home and be with my family and my best friends are here. And it was, it was some of the best years of my life. It was awesome. I think that that's a pretty magical combination. I mean, obviously, I'm sorry to hear about there are also some dark losses in that time too. And I'm, it's beautiful that your spirit is able to find the positivity of being back home, really, truly home, for yeah. so many reasons, professionally, personal growth-wise, you know, having that grieving process together. Like, that's all important of wine and life, <laughs> like, all together. And, and everything kind of ran its course, like, as it should, and so naturally. And, like, I came home, and 
I was, you know, I was single and my, my best friends were at points in their relationship where they would come in, we would have like sleepovers in our, in our early thirties. Okay. Like going out and I'm meeting all of my accounts and they would just come with me. And then, you know, my friends got married and like, they're like, I can't come over this weekend, <laughs> but it just all works itself out. <laughs> yeah. It was, it's great. <laughs> I think that I like this part, though, of this reality of my life is not just one lane. Like, you can't have wine knowledge without also life happening around you, and your friends can be part of that, and your family can be part of that. Right. And I see that with you in this role that I just love what you do for Winebow, is that because you have this customer interface all the time, how do you build relationships that are fresh like do you ever have that experience where you walk into a new client and they've never met Casey like how do you approach a new client when it comes to the wine world oh every week I mean you you just what do you need right like how can I help you right not everyone cares that you know the the cruise uh, of Barolo it doesn't matter that's not going to help them that's not what they need from you whatever you just I mean get to know them right and how much can I what what can I do for you and and what do you need and and go from there really finding out like how you can help that's pretty cool part of helping them build their wine identity in the city as well and I love that you mentioned the team of people so it's something I didn't understand actually until more getting to know kind of what your role was you do have this camaraderie of people that are doing the exact same thing you are in the same city and yet it's not competitive it's like this group effort so what's it like to be like in your in your team structure how does that work at Winebow yeah so well intra intra intra-company um we we are a huge team like whatever that saying is like you're as strong as your weakest link like we know that because I mean our our territories overlap and somebody is going to leave and like you know whomever gets my customers after me, like you treat them like your baby and like you, you, we want you to love us. Right. And we are a huge team. So we support one another. Uh, we, I mean, I have mentors in that company and, and they just know that when there's a face out there, like when my coworker, you know, has the wine boat email and you get it from her and she represents us and it makes us all stronger and better. And, and then company to company, okay, of course we're competitive, right? Like you, you want to do well and you want, you want to have the best products, but also like among wine people, like we just want good wine out there. Like I love it when I see great wines from my competitors on a list. Cause I'm like, Oh heck yeah. Like you, you, you're ready to do this. Like, so, and, and just showing more people like small producers and like, I mean, I, I do love geeking out over farming methods and like winemaking techniques and most people don't want to hear that, but I love it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we, we lift one another up in the, in the entire community as, as one of us gets better, we all get better. Beautiful sentiment there. I mean, yeah. I kind of wish that other industries had that. It's not, it's not always the same and you're right. Competition no. does build and make everyone stronger, but and that makes me think, what role do you play now in bringing others on board. I know wine education is such a big part of your life in general. So you are continuing your studies, but then what role do you have in educating others, whether it's in your company or just in the Atlanta wine community in general? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, in my company, anyone that ever needed help, I would help them. There's a, there's a group, anybody in our company will, will help one another. But, um, 
man, we have so many like senior people. I'm like, they're definitely not asking me for help. But uh, in the community, through an organization, Psalm South, we, we look to be a resource for anyone pursuing a career in wine or education in wine or, or just getting their feet wet and want to know more. Um, that is very rewarding. And I've, I've been part of that organization for a little over two years. And, you know, we've, we've been able to send people to Italy. We've hosted tasting groups. Everything is on pause at the moment. Just, you know, it is what it is. We, we've held a, a Monday tasting group the entire time until March and seeing people come in and like watching them week after week get better is so rewarding. I know you said like, you know, try, it's not an intimidating world, but man, Casey, when I walked into that tasting group with you all one time, I was like, I am among these intelligent, oh. amazing people, but I will say it was still welcoming, but how are, you, how are you not intimidated sometimes when you're tasting at that caliber? Like I don't, that is such an amazing world to live in. I mean, definitely. I, I, I get in, intimidated when I taste with some of the people in our city that are just, they know so much. Like, it's, it's, it's one thing, oh, yes, this is a Chardonnay, great. But man, they know like the history of producers and producers and regions and what happened this vintage. It's, it is incredible, the knowledge. And yeah, I, I love just watching them. <laughs> you probably soak it in like a sponge too. And I, what I really appreciate about the tasting group aspect that happens in Atlanta is that you do get a lot of people that are at different levels of their studies. How did you decide which route that you wanted to go when it comes to the formal track? I get asked this a lot of people being sure. not sure what WSAT versus the court. And so what do you help with here to help people navigate those opportunities for formal education? Absolutely. Well, for me, the decision was made very easy by restrictions placed by the court of Master Psalms. So since the movies came out and the show, there have been so many more applicants to pursue the higher level that they put restrictions on who could sit for advanced. So, and one of those restrictions was having restaurant experience, however, I don't know, maybe two years within the last seven, for which I did not qualify. So I didn't have that option, but I will say um, W set is better for me. So, the two, the two main ones, the Court of Master Sommeliers heads towards a Master Somme certification, and WSET, you can have a Master of Wine. Um, the WSET is much more academic. It's a course, and it's rigorous, and um, it also doesn't focus on service, so there's a lot of emphasis on winemaking early on. I mean, I don't doubt that the master Somme track, it's, you have to know all of that, but early on, um, the business of wine, winemaking techniques, and, and also the wines of the world, whereas a master psalm, I mean, up until the master level, is focused on a subset of classic wines, and service component is, is so heavy, which is why you need the relevant restaurant experience that I don't have. I gotcha, but I feel like I could throw you on a floor, and you probably would know, like, you would know what to do. You know what's funny is that I did that. <laughs> oh, no, did you jump in? Oh, no, how'd it go? So I have um, an account that I just adore, and I've worked with them for three years now. And the holiday season, they were like, come, you know, we put this, like, awesome new menu out, and they're like, come work stage with us. I was like, yes, I'm in. I would love to do this. I want to get that. And I didn't, uh, I mean, like a total idiot. 
I, I didn't look at the beer list. <laughs> and I would go up and I'm like so excited to talk about wine. And they were like, you know, ask me beer and spirits. And I thought, this is so much harder than I thought. You don't, you know, it was funny. So I had to study it. And uh, it was like first table. I was like so gung-ho and ready to talk about the wine list. And they were like, I'm actually thinking about a beer. <laughs> I can picture your face like, well, let me tell you why you should choose wine. Like, you can just see you trying to get... It was, it was just really funny. And I was like, I didn't even think that that would happen. <laughs> I think... Okay, so that that must have been a really, you know, interesting experience to just be talking to the people that have still interest and they're asking you questions table oh, yeah. side and that kind of thing. And what I really loved one time, we worked together on, a, on an event and we were having you talk about the wines that night that were paired. And I just saw something super cool. One of the producers that you were talking about, like you came back to kind of the side after presenting to the group and talking about it. You had like almost legit tears in your eyes because you said, I love this wine and these people so much. I could talk about them forever. And I remember stopping and being like, this person is who everyone should get a chance to listen to speak about wine because you had that showing through your heart, like about these people. Does that happen quite a bit for you with these wines? Yes. (laughs) I mean, especially the ones that I know and that I've met and that, I mean, there are more profitable businesses than wine. A lot of people are in it because they love it. It's a passion driven business. Hospitality is restaurants are, I mean, I don't think an investor would say, you know what the best investment is, is a restaurant. Like, no, we love it. So yeah, I do get attached to it. Especially like, I think about, I'm really lucky. I I went, I've been on, you know, trips to, with, with importers and, and after visiting the place and seeing it and meeting the the people that, the people that put the wine in the bottle, it's, yeah, you get, I get attached. (laughs) I've seen you go on a lot of those trips, actually, which is such a unique experience. And I was actually going to ask you about that because not only you probably travel on your own for things, but those group trips with industry professionals, what do you get out of that? When you come home, what are your key key takeaways? You've been to some amazing places, but what are those, what what does that do when you return back? How do you use that? So I, the first one that I went on, I was expecting to love it, right? You know, you're going to love this. I love wine. I was looking forward to seeing the vineyards, meeting the winemaker. I did not expect how much of an impact the group would have on me and seeing it, it was people, well, there was one of the, the first trip I went on was to Chile and Argentina. And there was one person from my company who works in Savannah that I didn't really know. Now we're like, we're support system for one another. Like we text all the time. We're so much closer. Um, but also people all over the Southeast for there and they're in other markets and we're on the same team. This was a whole, this was within my company. Um, and we reach out to one another. And if I'm in their city, I go visit them. I go meet them at their account. The one that I went to Chile and Argentina were all people doing my job. So what a treat to get to say, what's it like for you? What do you do? Like, teach me. How do you, like, we, you grow and you learn. And then when I went to Italy, there were people that owned retail shops, people that ran restaurants, people that, you know, did what I did, other import. It was all throughout the industry. There were some people that had just started that, and we were like, how did you do this? And they're like, I work at a really good restaurant and this is part of it. Um, yeah. I, I actually just visited someone I met in Denver on that trip. 
So it was great. Yeah. That support system comes out of it, which is a really interesting thing. Cause I would say, you know, a lot of your interaction when you're out on visits with your clients, it's you, they might not even know how many people are back there also at the company doing the same thing. It doesn't matter. It's you. So you're honing your craft and you're bringing that forward. But it sounds like that support system behind the scenes is really important. Can you elaborate on like how you support each other on a day-to-day basis? So one, like product knowledge, we have, we have over 5,000 wines that I work with in Atlanta, right? So I've not tasted all of them. And we work with wines that actually change vintage to vintage. So just because like right now I'm drinking this beautiful little white Italian wine, it's probably tastes a little different last, last vintage. And so before you pull it, you, I just text my teammates, Hey, how is it? What's the differences? And somebody's tried it. Also, if, if we see new businesses coming up in the city, hey, you know, who, who can reach out to them? Can somebody do this? You know, there's not enough wine to go around, right? Of some of the products, like it's an agricultural product. There is a finite amount. It's harvested every year and we get an allotment of it. And when it's gone, it's gone. So we play as a team. We say, hey, you know, this place in Buckhead needs X amount of this. What do you need? Let's figure this out like a puzzle and make everybody happy. Like we, we, we share among ourselves and, and again, lift everybody up. So you mentioned going to uh, Argentina and Chile and I remember really feeling thankful that you were sharing a lot of that insight that you had even in real time with through Instagram, social media. I was loving it. And I remember seeing a picture of someone I truly admired. What was that moment like? Oh man. So that woman, she, she's a force runs all of Catena wines, their entire operation and like international company also is a mother of three and still works one shift a month in a baby emergency room. She's a doctor in San Francisco because that was her first passion. Still does that because she loves it so much. So she was in medical school and studied French also. And her father at the time, Argentina wines, Argentinian wines were not on the map. And her father was going to France to showcase uh, Catena wines. And he said, you know, Lara, will you come with me? You speak French. She said, fine, whatever. And she went there and she didn't feel like they gave her father the respect that he deserved. They, they, you know, turned their nose up at Argentinian wines. And so she joined the business (laughs) and she was like, oh no, yes. And, And look what it is today. As a female who studies wine, you can't help but admire what she has done for that country, for that wine, for that brand. Like, it's pretty incredible. It is incredible. And, and she is a woman that is so determined to, to continue on where she wanted to put her, her father's wines on the map. She wants to put her region's wine on the map, her region, regional wines on the map. So there's an entire institute, the Container Institute of Wine, that is not related to the sales side of their of their production, but is intended to study, to see what varietals will grow best, what types of soil, what analysis. They'll take wines from other, you know, from any producer in the region and work with them. They'll consult with other wineries to help. They, they want to lift the region up. And she heads that. And, you know, so much of that comes from her academic background. So to create this institute, this, you know, place and to, and to research it. She's, yeah. 
I wonder how many more regions will start really building upon that academic approach. I see it here domestically. Like, I think as people start to really explore more wines and try things outside of their comfort zone, the questions arise, what else does that region do? Sure. Why does that grape grow there? So when you travel to a place, are these the types of insights that you're gathering to then tell people why this grape and why it may taste that way? That's right. So we'll, we'll stick to Argentina and what, what, what happened there. So uh, we, went, we visited a winery that is part of uh, the, the Catena Empire. There's a, a winery called El Amigo, and it's this little hippie commune, and it's all, you know, tending towards biodynamics and a fabulous place. The winery is fashioned after Dante's Inferno. I was like, this is my spirit. <laughs> it was great. So... The, and there's this very young hip winemakers, and they say, we, 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 we grow and produce Malbec because we want to keep our doors open, but let us show you what we're excited about. Let us show you what we think will do well. And they, it's Cab Franc and Bonarda. And the entire region, which we're starting to see more of it in our market now, but much like they say, okay, you know, we believe Malbec found its home in Argentina and Mendoza and it ripens well. You know, we think the same with Cap Franc and try this and they're so excited about it and it's fabulous and it's getting better and better. And even in the, I mean, the three vintages, so I've tried three of their vintages, they get better. It's, it's great. And you get to experience that as it comes yeah. through your portfolio too. So that's a really fun thing to think about how vast you get to work with in terms of wine. Do you think that you would call yourself any certain kind of style of wine in the moment? Or how do you get inspired to try new things? Just you personally, as someone who truly does sure. love wine at the core, you work in it, but you love it. So how do you continue to be inspired by new places and new styles? You know, I, I, this is like, what's your favorite kind of music? you like it all if it's good <laughs> i like so i do appreciate when a wine shows its sense of place right so when this is a, a cool climate growing region and it tastes like a cool climate wine i appreciate that i like big reds i like high acid whites and i like i mean i like everything so i do i appreciate when you can see that someone took this material and made the most beautiful project with it that it could. These grapes, I don't know, for whatever reason, they're so aromatic, right? So we, we use winemaking techniques to showcase that, right? Or this is this beautiful blank palette and we introduce this like elegant oak on it. And now it's just this singing expression. So I do, I appreciate wines that stay true to their terroir, but also like, show off winemaking. Like if you're a talented winemaker and that comes through and you, you can, you know, you can compose this wine, like a beautiful song. Like I'm, I'm in, let's try it. <laughs> Ooh, that's such a good way to think about it, Casey. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking about, you know, everybody has their opinions of how the classic wine should be, but what you just brought up is two very key things. It's like, is it, is it true to the place and is it good quality? And both of those things are really important. And I hear you educate that. I hear you talk about wines that you hold at a higher standard because they meet those two things. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, and also the more I learn about the industry and production and, and even like logistics, like there, so we have people in our company that, I mean, the logistics is their job, right? Like 
how can we, I mean, getting wine from a small village in Italy to our warehouse is not easy, <laughs> right? So there are people that specialize in this. And the more I learn about it, the, the more I'm impressed with some products. It's all different styles. There's someone that can consistently put out this quality at this price point. Oh, that's, I'm, I'm so impressed with like wines for, for the price too. Like that's definitely, because there are, you know, there are days where you, you may be celebrating and you, and price is not, it, it's fine. You're willing to pay 20%, 30% more for something that just because you want it and that, and you love it. And then there are days where you're like, Oh my gosh, this is 15 bucks. Like, what? <laughs> tell everyone. I always am like, tell everyone. Run, go get it now before this is a joke. Like, that's how I feel. I'm like, it's going to last not very long. The more I learn about the business side of it, the more I am impressed with like wine for the money. I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. Because I mean, also in sales, that's what people respond to. Like, we have this inherent barometer, I think, as a consumer on like, that was a good value that, you know, did it for me. And, and there are certain regions that are better at that. Than others. Sure. Yeah. And you're going to help your clients build a variety of price points on their list Definitely. as well. You want to have something to offer to everybody for, of course, those different types of situations, occasions, pocket yeah. depth, like all of that matters. I think what I really want to know from you too is how your blind tasting skills play into that part of the business. I say that sure. because most of the time when I think about blind tasting for myself, I use it as building my skill to not have anybody have to tell me about this wine for me to get kind of an idea of what it is, where it's from and what it should taste like. Exactly. So how does that play into your idea and philosophy of like pricing and quality and that kind of thing? Absolutely. So being able to taste for general winemaking and, and style. I mean, cool climate, warm climate is a big thing. Like alcohol content, extraction, all of that, because that, that appeals. I mean, that's what so many consumers want. You want something bigger or you want something lighter um, and being able to perceive oak and general quality and how elegant and balanced something is. Also, if we're, if we're better tasters and, and being able to taste for a consumer palate and calibrating ourselves to that, you can help your client so much more. So, and some, I mean, some people know they're like, I, I don't, you know, maybe they don't have the best palate, but they're saying, what do you, you know, what do you think people like? I get that a lot. And I need to be able to, and I gotta be right. Cause they're going to trust what I say. <laughs> so that's a lot of it. And, and that's a huge part of what I do is like not filling a menu or a shelf with stuff that I like, because that's not what it's about. It doesn't, that I'm not who we're trying to please. I admire that a lot. Actually, yeah. I think that you can kind of tell when a place is, self self-fulfilling on what they put out you can tell you actually can tell as a consumer but when i see that there's some some familiar things some unfamiliar things some exciting things i want to try i know that there's someone that's out there trying to make the wine list something that someone can truly explore and feel comfortable exploring definitely yeah so um my my actual job title is a consultant and I, when I first started, I was like, okay, that's bogus. <laughs> I didn't think, but it's not, it's actually not. And what I've been taught to do and what, because of the reputation that my company has, we truly are consultants. And 
I mean, I'm going to unsell people. I'm like, I don't think this is going to work for you. <laughs> like, you know, you really, exactly what you're saying, like, I, you know, being a partner to people and using your expertise and this is what I've learned in the market. This is how this does. Like, and just being super transparent and knowing that, like, I'm your partner for a long-term project. It comes back to kind of originally what you said, too, about, like, I want to help meet their needs, but that takes some time to get to know the situation, the style of the restaurant, the food, like all of that will matter of what you pick out of your giant database of knowledge of wine. You're helping kind of create the best wines for the place and the people and the atmosphere. That's a, that's gotta be a really fun kind of designer aspect of the whole thing. It's a privilege. It is. It's fantastic. Much like the wines that I work with, the restaurants that I work with are, I usually know the owner because they're there. It's, this is their livelihood. Like this is what they're focusing on and they're trusting you and you, you're helping feed their family and, and make their dreams come true. And you, you are part of that project. So what would you tell people, especially when you go on these trips, maybe with other people that are in similar job roles, but not familiar with Atlanta, what are you telling people that they need to know about the Atlanta wine world? We're on fire. <laughs> I think Atlanta is growing. I, I see we're attracting so much new talent and people are moving here and we have new ideas and different styles. And people from all around the world, half of my clients, maybe not half, but it could easily be a third or more are international. I deal, it, it's awesome. And, and, you know, Atlanta, I think our place on the map continues to grow and I see our consumers wanting the next step and opening up and trying new things and, and still appreciating classics, which is awesome. And, and knowing I see better wine, you know, people requesting it and, and demanding it, which is great. We probably need that. We probably need that people understand that they can have a voice in what comes to Atlanta. I try to tell people that as much as I possibly can. Sometimes I feel like a broken record, but it matters that we are on a radar of where people are appreciating those types of wines. Like it matters to ask for things, to see if they, if the restaurant is willing to, you know, look into that because you like that wine. People can have that voice. Definitely. Well, I wanted to ask you too. So going back to blind tasting, because I kind of skipped over the fact that you also are a title holder when it comes to uh, blind tasting. Let's not forget the fact that you are, and I'm going to read this because I wrote it down to make sure, 2019 Sam Smackdown champion, the first woman to win in eight consecutive years of that event. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah. First woman, eighth annual SOM SmackDown blind tasting competition. I have really enjoyed that event. And I was there that night that you won. And I didn't know at the time that that was the first female winner. But I really admired that you just owned that. And it was a combination of sitting down and, you know, ver- nonverbal writing and judging the wines. And then you had to, at the end, you had to walk us through verbally. What makes you more nervous about the blind tasting, sharing it in front of people or just doing it on paper? Definitely in front of people. <laughs> okay. I didn't, some people really like that part. And I'm thinking, I don't know, I'd be like, you're all listening to me just completely run through all the characteristics. That's really intense. Well, because the people in that room are so talented and know so much and not that anybody is judging me or, or we don't judge one another. We're 
we're all super supportive, but still you, you want to get it right. <laughs> well, you did, you, you got it. You got it more right than everybody else that night, Casey. So you did, you did something, but then you won this belt. Um, it was a wrestler's belt that you had to keep for a year. Any crazy stories of where you took that thing or did it just sit at home? Yeah, unfortunately, no, but just that night. Yeah. I think I got a little drunk that night on accident. <laughs> uh, completely contextually acceptable. That was appropriate. And okay. yes, okay. Yeah, it's very that appropriate. Was, that was that was awesome. I love those. I love those guys so much too. That event it allows people to see a little bit behind the scenes of because they're not going to always see you going through the wines if they don't go to tasting group they're not really aware of how in-depth you are going through each component of the wine and then going back to your knowledge of in the literature what types of places would that wine make sense in like it all kind of comes back together of this academic approach it, it really does certainly with skilled winemaking style you can manipulate wines but for the most part man wines really they really do represent where they're from. And, and the more you drink, the more you start to explore that. And I'm sure the more you get it right, you feel more confident. But then you can still have wines that completely humble you. So I don't know. I have gotten Albarino wrong the past like four times I've been given it. And so if you have any tasting notes, tips on Albarino, I welcome them. <laughs> do you drink Albarino often? No, that's probably step one. <laughs> so, I, um, yeah, and, and it's also, I'm a history or I, I really love history and geography and I mean, traveling is my greatest passion and it's just, it fills me up and makes me warm and fuzzy, but, uh, and, and learning the history of, of a place and knowing how the wine came to be and why those grapes are there and, and the type of oak that they use, man, it is, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm going to geek out with you and say, I agree on that. That's part of my favorite thing is like, I'll, I'll have a wine and then I have to go like read all about where it's from. Like, that's like step two. Like, I don't know how I could not do that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Particularly Europe. They've been doing it for so long. I'm reading about a, a wine and they're like California. They're like, this is since the 1980s, you know, it's like one of the founding ones of the region. And then in, in Italy, it's like since the 14th century. <laughs> I know. I was having a wine yesterday. Last night I had a wine from Corsica and I, I don't know too much about it. So of course I was like diving into what okay. is this place and why. And like some of the things it's telling me is like, this is where Napoleon was born. And then during the French revolution and all this was just like, wow, it just is like, you have so many layers of now I'm drinking this wine, but I have so many thoughts about the place and the people and everything about that environment that matters. At the end of the day, it matters to what I'm drinking right now. And I know we can't travel right now, so that just must be torture because you are a world traveler. I know that you've traveled to places that not necessarily just for wine, but just for your enjoyment and all of that kind of thing. So what are, what are some of the places that you're like, the minute I can go, where are you going? So I'm still in the stage of my travels where I like to go to new places. Portugal and Madeira are up there because... One, I hear that, that Lisbon is just the epicenter of art right now in, in Europe. So I want to be, I just want to, you know, get a glimpse of that scene. And, but also you have this super young and exciting wine revolution happening in the Douro. And I hear Madeira is just weird and I want to get there. So a, a good friend of mine that has traveled a lot said that she went to Madeira not expecting anything. And it's the most beautiful place that she's ever been. So 
that's enough for me to go. <laughs> that's like, sign me up. Like, that's like, yeah. when are we going? Because when I, when I hear that too, of people that I really admire their kind of world travel aspect, if they're like, you cannot miss this place. I'm like, done like that's and i have heard portugal is really cool i have not yet been there um but then you also have some other hobbies of like outside of wine what are some of the things if you're not drinking wine what are you what are you up to sure so i mean i'm pretty outdoorsy i'm, I'm all about hiking and being with nature it's, you know it's in my religion <laughs> it's like being one with nature um, i do a lot of yoga and i read a lot and I, I do study wine a lot. That happens. But uh, yeah, yeah, I read a ton. That's all COVID-friendly activities. It is. You just listen. Yeah. Like, you're, this is all things that you can continue on. Yeah. And um, so my boyfriend is the foodie side of our relationship. So I'm, I will travel to wine regions. And when, when I go to cities, I'll hit wine bars. And he is fascinated with food and has, really has his finger on the pulse and shows me all the great restaurants and knows what to order. And it, it's added so much to my life and my travel. It's great. I think that that's how you kind of take it up a notch and what a perfect combination for traveling. What do you think about some favorite standout wine pairings? I know you are in restaurants with your clients quite a bit, but anything that you're excited about in Atlanta that you felt like you contributed to a wine pairing option Oh man, this ancient varietal called Lee Valley Susumaniello. I mean, there's always a dish that pairs with it from Puglia in Southern Italy. And I, I mean, I only know of like a, one or two producers that are working with it. And it is so unique. It, it's such an obscure varietal. Like typically, okay, the Pinot Noir or the Cab is the best selling wine, but um, and it's called Susumaniello. Like what? Yeah, and it's it, there's always something on the on the menu that's going to pair with it for and that. It's driven by the food options. That's why it gets off that's it, into yeah. someone's glass. It's because that's of the food it. suggestion. Wow. Yeah, and there are a few other places now, like a few other Italian spots in the city that are supporting it because we've been able to get enough inventory. But we used to not even have enough in the state. But now we've like asked more and we've taken from other states. <laughs> like we're, we know how to get it. We know how to get it off the menu. So if we're going to move it, we get it. That's like yeah. such a win. Oh, that's we've perfect. We've been in a few places now, but it's one of the most unique, interesting. It's, it's like this, this wine is like this perfect segue for like between old and wor new world wine. It's just fantastic. I love it. <laughs> cool. And I love that it was food driven. Like if, or I really enjoy that the decision about that is not just because of this wine is cool and we want everyone to drink it, which is a reason. That's great. It's like recommending your favorite albums to people. Like you want them to try it, but it's food driven that that is doing well. It's kind of yep. cool. Well, how do we find more about uh, your wines? Like I know it's always harder as that middleman. You said you learned what that is. How can people find out more about where you have influence? Yeah. Well, man, I work with so many people. I, I feel it's hard to like name a few places because I love everyone and all of my accounts. I mean, we certainly have a website that can find me on Instagram and I will answer any and every question that you may have <laughs> anytime. <laughs> That'd probably, maybe that would be a good way. That's perfect. People can yeah. kind of inquire about if they're going somewhere, maybe you have some of the wines on the menu or that oh, kind of thing. Yeah. 
I think people are getting used to flipping the bottle over and looking for the importer. But I, I know that planning events and that kind of thing, I always have to track down who the distributor is of a wine. It's a little bit harder. Sometimes I have to ask the, the beverage director or the retail shop. So then I can kind of find out where the rest of those wines are because it's harder as a consumer to know the distributor. It is. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're behind the scenes. Yeah, but reaching out to you on Instagram, hey, that'll be perfect. And then people can see all your gorgeous pictures and uh, yoga poses that I could only dream of doing. Um, these are <laughs> these are all cool things. So keep sharing that love of the world and that perspective because it means everything always, but I think especially now. So speaking your voice through the wine is really important. Oh, yeah. And thank you. Thanks for all you do for our community. I adore you. Thank you so much. Ah, cheers to you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the A Cork in the Road podcast, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, and interviewing people who are changing the wine world in the Southeast and beyond. You can find more about A Cork in the Road at, at A Cork in the Road on Instagram, and make sure to check us out on www.acorkintheroad.com. See you soon, guys. Cheers. Cheers.